My text is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So I'd like you to go there and uh, keep your finger in that spot. Would you read this out loud with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 in the NIV. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'm going to go back to that and uh, help that sink into us deeply. From now on, from now on, now that you're in Christ, from now on, you will not regard any other person from a worldly point of view. You've been taken out of the world and put into Christ. And from now on, any way you look at another person must be through the eyes of Christ. It must be with the Father's heart. And I believe, brothers and sisters, we're looking at the things of this world through worldly eyes. In fact, the King James says this. It says, from now on, we will regard no one uh, through the flesh. Through our flesh. And so the word flesh in the Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X, and it, does, it not only means your physical body and your mental capabilities, but also the world around you. This is a world of sin. It is a fleshly world. It is a fallen world. But we will choose and we will obey the Lord's command to no longer regard any other person or people in a fleshly manner, in a carnal way, in a worldly way. And uh, the NIV properly uh, uh, translates this from a worldly point of view. We must regard others from a spiritual point of view. And so when you're tired of certain people, when you're fed up with certain people, when you look at them and you're ready to judge their character by their dress, by their clothes, by their color, whatever you seem to do that's innate in all of us, let's be honest, we must put that aside and say, let me see with the eyes of the Father. I will not regard you from my prejudices. I will not regard you from what I've seen on TV or read in the news. I'll not regard you as anything less than a soul that Jesus Christ died for. And that's what he's trying to say to us. So from now on, we will not regard anybody from a worldly point of view. I make reference this morning to 1 Samuel 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You know this story. Samuel is told by the Lord to go anoint the next king. Still got a king in office, Saul. He's not that great of a guy. And so God is saying, Saul's time is coming to a close. But what he wanted to give Samuel and the people of God was a hope for a future. He wanted them to know that there will be a king after my own heart. And I want you to go down to Jesse's house. And go there and anoint one of his sons. So Samuel goes down and he goes to anoint the sons of Jesse. Now if you'll remember anything about this story, when they elected Saul to be the king of Israel, they said he was tall, dark, and handsome. That's how we pick our kings in America. Do they look good on TV? Seriously. But do they say the right things? Do they do the right things? And you see, that's how we pick people. 
And that's how they elected Saul. So he came to David's house to anoint. And when he got to David's house to anoint, the first son walked through. And guess what? Tall, dark, and handsome. Samuel thinks, here's the dude. Pulls out the oil, getting ready to chug a lug on top of him. And uh, he goes, the Lord said, that's not the guy. He looks like the guy. That's not the guy. All right, maybe there's something in his heart, something I can't see, something I don't know. All right, you got any other kids? Yeah. Next son comes up, obviously, next in line. See, according to traditions, the eldest son is, is separated unto the Lord. So he figured the eldest would be the one. If not him, okay, we'll take the second eldest. I mean, this, this, is, our, this, this is how we base tradition and ideas and, and so forth. And God says, you will no longer regard people according to your worldly ways. You will no longer uh, minister, choose, uh, relate to people based on your traditions, your history, your experience. You will follow according by my spirit and not by carnal or fleshly manners. And so the second guy comes, he says, no. Okay. Next guy comes, he says, no. Now at this point you would ask, why doesn't Samuel just ask the Lord which guy? But he doesn't. He goes through all the sons of Jesse, and that's it. And he goes, something's not, something's not working right. And he goes, okay, either I missed it or we're missing a kid. Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he goes, uh, yeah, uh, the youngest one, he's out tending sheep. Well, bring him in. And so this little ruddy, red-faced kid comes running in, and... Uh, the Lord says, he's the man. He's the man. And so he pours the anointing oil on him. And then the Lord says this in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about the others. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what Paul was saying. From now on, from now on, we will regard no one from a worldly point of view. You can't look on the outside and determine someone's character or position. You must look at people from a godly point of view. So you have to ask yourself, how does God look at people? I go on in the book of James, James chapter 2, verse 4. James rebukes the churches. He says this concerning their prejudice and how they discern and judge people. In James 2, he says, verse 4, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, and say to the poor man, hey, you, sit in the back on the floor, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? From now on, we will not regard any man according to worldly ways. You don't determine someone's worth, value, by what they look like, what they sound like. 
And even if they're in sin and you disagree with them, God has put a value on them. They are a soul that Jesus Christ died for. And we must care and see through spirit eyes the heart of Father. How dare any of us think we have attained some position higher than any other human being on this earth. Oh, but I'm not like those guys on death row who did terrible, awful things. Yes, you are. The difference is the grace of God has opened your eyes to salvation. Thank God. But if your eyes weren't opened, it would have been any one of those different things they did that you could do. We cannot elevate ourselves above another. We must always say, but by the grace of God go I. But by the grace of God do I stand. And it is a heart of compassion for the lost to recognize that God loves them. We can't discern that away. We can't judge that away. He said, though, look at what he says here. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.16 and says, From now on we're going to regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See, there was a time when we, didn't re- we regarded Christ in a worldly way. You know Christ as Lord and Savior. You know who He is. Your eyes have been revealed to the glory of Christ. But the world out there sees Him in a worldly way. He's a guy in mythology or fairy tales or your religion. He's a cuss word that we use. He's this thing, you know... Uh, This Jesus culture thing, we're done, we're over with that now. But you still want to believe it. They see him in a worldly way. What I want you to get is the contrast here. Do you know how sinners see Jesus, right? Some say they have a respect for him, but they don't regard him as their Lord and their Savior. And others totally disregard him. That is a worldly way, Paul says. Well, God forbid we, those who are saved, would look at other people in that manner. They're bad. They're ugly. They're, they're, they're losers. They're sinners. They're evil. We don't want anything to do with them. Because you cannot have that attitude. And Paul goes on to say why. You cannot have this attitude with a sinful world and a dying world. We will not agree with them, but we must respect them as being made in the image of God and that we were like them at one time. He goes on to say this. He says, all this is from God. Wait, uh, he, uh, because he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You and I have the ability now to see other people as God sees them because we've been taken out of Adam and we are now a new creature, creation given with eyes to see as Father sees people we've got to have compassion we've got to have a heart we've got to be moved when we see other people to share the love of christ with them and not regard them according to our flesh it's hard to do but paul tells us you're a new creation you can do this you've been made new so that you will be an ambassador for the kingdom of god The old things are gone in you. Therefore, you do not rely on worldly ways. Some of you are street smart. Some of you are corporate smart. Some of you are book educated. Some of you are wise and sly. 
You use those things, but you redeem them for the glory of God. But you don't use worldly ways. You use godly ways in the heart of the Father in all things. Well, how does God look at people? How does God see people? Well, how about this? God so loved a few. God so loved the special ones. What does it say? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's God's heart. That none should perish. So how does God look at the lost? How does God regard sinners? He loves them. He loves them. And how are we to look at them now? Through Father's eyes. But no longer in a worldly manner. He goes on to say this. There's a message to be spoken. We now, we no longer judge by a worldly or fleshly manner. He says this in verse 18, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How in the world are we going to reconcile fallen man to a loving God if we don't represent the loving God? Does that make sense to you? Now, what is a loving God? Is He all mushy and, and, and we really don't... You can do anything you want. We don't care about the holiness of God. We don't care about the right... I'm not talking about that. God will call out sin as sin in His children and in the lost. But we must represent the heart of the Father that He loves all people. And we're to reconcile all people to that love. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us, That's amazing, isn't it? Any appeal that is being made to mankind by the Spirit of God is being made into their lives, and we're a part of that process. We're making that appeal to a lost world. Therefore, we need to be appealing. Now, the world's going to hate us more and more because we will speak for God We will be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We will declare what is holy and righteous. And people will hate us more and more and more. Christians are going to become more of a thorn in the side of the world's flesh and this nation's flesh than ever before. So that should change the way we look at them, right? No. We don't change our point of view. They may change their point of view. The the respectability of Christianity in this nation may change. The laws may change. Their attitudes towards us may change. But we will never change our love towards the lost. We must preach the gospel and care for them and pray for them. It's a ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. So if God's making His appeal to the lost through the church, how distorted is that image? 
are people seeing the true Lord Jesus Christ and the heart of Father in the church? It's a good question, wouldn't you say? We're the ambassadors to this kingdom. And so we have opportunity to express what this kingdom is all about, what it looks like and what our king looks like. And so I would have to ask the question, how well are we representing the kingdom of God? Now, this is God's call on your life. You don't have to pray for a ministry. You don't have to seek God and ask, should I witness or shouldn't I witness? If you're a believer, you're a witness. You are an ambassador. You represent the kingdom of God at all times. It doesn't turn on and turn off. When I'm in my good behavior and in my good dress, I'm doing well. That is not Christianity, and that is not the way an ambassador acts. At all times, in all things, you're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I get to the bottom line of what he's saying so that we would, from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. God has brought reconciliation uh, between Him and mankind through Christ Jesus. He's reconciled man. He's set the sin issue aside by the atonement of Christ Jesus. And He now calls out to mankind. And He says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Now He goes on to say, We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I would encourage you to get a dictionary out and look up the word implore. If we are the representation that God is using to draw men unto Him, we're His ambassadors, and He's drawing all men to Himself through the church, Paul says, I implore you. He's speaking in the Spirit of God. He's speaking for Christ who implores us. Implores us to reach out and be reconciled. He implores the lost. That word to implore means to beg, to wail, to reach, to do everything you can to represent the reconciliation of God with man. I implore you. I beg of you. I beseech you. I seek you. Would you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you please let me share a right representation of Christ for you? I know what you've seen on TV. I know what you've heard on the radio. But I'm an ambassador. And I implore you, please give me two minutes. Give me one minute. Let me pray. Poor Father's heart to you. Let me express to you the love of Jesus Christ. I know you're caught in sin. I know you want to excuse it. I know you want to justify it. He loves you even in it. And He'll deliver you from it. But just connect right now with the saving power of God. I implore you. You see, are we imploring the world? We're cohabiting with the world. We're walking side by side with the world. There's no passion in us to reach the lost. We're, we're, we're not beseeching. We're not reaching at all cost. Our neighbors and our friends, they're going to hell. They're going to hell. 
And we're okay with that. We really are. Come on. It's real time. We're standing before God right now. And we're okay with that. I, uh, uh, who's uh, Penner? Who's the guy? Be- t- tell and Penner? Penn and Teller. Extreme atheists. Hate Christians. Extreme atheists. But I, I don't know if it was Penn or it was Teller. Which is the one that doesn't talk? To, okay, then it was Penn. Seeing a quote that he said. He said this, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm winging it right now. So, but I remember what Penn said. He said, if Christians really believed that there was a God, and he was just and holy, and he was going to send people to eternal damnation, then why would you not tell me? That's from an atheist who hates Christians. And he's got it right. Because the message is that stark. And he would say, if you really believe that, then it would compel every Christian to do everything they could to say something to me. Now, I'm sure there have been. And he would refute that and disagree with it. But at least he had that one part right. Paul's saying, I beseech you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. There's a passion behind it. There are specific words that mean specific things. And when you use a word that intense, there should be some level of emotion behind it as equally intense that runs our lives. But see, we go back to the top of where we started. We're regarding people from a worldly point of view. We're regarding them as Republicans or Democrats. We're regarding them as old or young. We're regarding them as rich or poor. We're regarding them as our opinion as to whether we like them or don't like them. They have a bad attitude or they have a good attitude. We want to save the nice people. Because we think they're halfway there. And they're not! We're regarding people in a worldly manner. If we really, really, really were ambassadors of the kingdom of God, which we are, but we don't consider it, we would beseech people and cry out to people. Now look at I'm, I'm preaching to me, okay? I mean, I don't beseech people. I'll repent before you and before my God. I cannot stand here and preach a message like this as if I'm exempt. I am not. And I am not reaching to the lost as I should. And so I stand bare before you. I don't preach a message that I don't first have to fall in repentance over. And so I repent before you. I am not beseeching the lost to be saved. And I need to do something about this. I need to stop regarding people in a worldly manner. How quickly do we judge them when we see them? by their outward characteristics, and God judges the heart. We have to, what we have to start doing is watching where the wind's blowing, watching where the Spirit's moving. There is the aspect of sowing seeds in a broadcast way, where you just throw it everywhere. It's going to fall on hard ground, it's going to fall on stony ground, it's going to fall in good soil. So you broadcast at all times. But then there are times, as Paul says, that one plants, one waters. 
And then there's the time of harvest. And you watch as Jesus said, the Spirit blows where it wills. And the Spirit will move on a harvest of people, and we've got to watch. I want to tell you that I believe we are in a time of harvest. The wind is blowing in this area. The wind is blowing over Detroit. The wind is blowing over these cities. The wind is blowing in the, over these, this region. There is a harvest ready and coming. We cannot discern this in worldly ways. We must discern it by the voice of the Spirit. Hear me, people. Get ready for what's coming. And we have to watch for the wind to blow. How does God look at people? The way Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, as He quoted Isaiah, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from prisoners. He so told me to recover the sight of the blind and to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's how Father sees. That's how Jesus sees. Jesus wants us to reconcile the lost to this. He wants us to go preach the good news to the poor, to those who have no ability to proclaim freedom to those who are prisoners of their sin, prisoners of the flesh, to give sight to those who are blind to the God of, the, of heaven and earth. And we must release the oppressed by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I beseech you, I implore you, tell somebody. Everyone must hear this gospel. And this is the hour the Spirit's blowing. This is the day and the moment. And so Paul says, from now on, from now on, regard no man according to the flesh. But by the Spirit of God, listen to the voice of the Spirit and beseech them to be reconciled with God. 